There's a particular story in the Bible that is hard for many busy people to hear. Here's Pastor Kevin DeYoung. You know, Luke 10, Mary and Martha. You know, a lot of us hate that story. Really? Do we want to hear another sermon about you lousy Marthas out there? I mean, we sort of, we, we feel like, you know, that's nice that Mary could, you know, not do anything, but Martha's making sure that the meal gets prepared. But you have to come back to Jesus says, Mary, you've chosen the good part. We all have a little bit of Martha inside of us. But God has a prescription for your busyness. Stay tuned and find out. Welcome to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. The president of Family Life is Dennis Rainey. Have you ever had this happen to you? Your friends, let's just call them the Browns. They ask you for dinner. Great, wonderful, you would love to have dinner with them. And they can only do it on Friday night. But Friday doesn't work for you. So maybe Saturday, nope, uh, that's not good. How about Sunday? Nope, that's small group night. Monday, oh yeah, no. Tuesday, oh, I'm leading a Bible study. Wednesday, oh, it's the monthly potluck for, you know, that committee that we only, uh, Thursday. And on and on it goes. You may remember several weeks ago we talked about rest, how to have true rest as we prepare for Easter season. And we found that it's usually about emptying ourselves and surrendering the things that so easily distract us. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the big distractions in my life is busyness. I love to fill the calendar. I love to see, and in fact, I use all different colors of pens so that my calendar looks extremely full. I'm like the K. Arthur of planning. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have nothing on the calendar? Okay, you might be one who's thinking, that's like heaven. Or you might be one going, what? Nothing on the calendar? Well, a few years back, A lady by the name of Joanne Kraft decided to take a break from just about everything in her and her family's life. In fact, she wrote a book about it called Just Too Busy, Taking Your Family on a Radical Sabbatical. Joanne is a speaker and an author. She's a wife to Paul and a mother of four. And if she were sitting here right now, she would describe herself as a recovering busy mom busy? Isn't that part of the mom job? Well, a few years ago, Joanne talked with Dennis Rainey and Bob Lapine about the recovery process and how it all happened. It was New Year's Eve, and I was at my girlfriend's house. We'd been invited over to our friend's house, and they had four kids, too. And I thought, well, heck yeah, I'll go mess up your house. That works for me. (laughs) So we went over, and, you know, the kids ran off together uh, to play, and our husbands went and watched a basketball game, and my girlfriend and I started playing a game that I call Busy Mom Poker. And what that is, is we start sharing all that we're doing, and we start one-upping each other. <laughs> I, I can trump you on that. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, I've heard it. That's exactly what we did. And I won, by the way. Um, <laughs> but she said offhandedly, she said, you know, what if we took a year off this year and did nothing? 
And I said, what if we did take a year off and did nothing? And about that time, our husbands came into the room, and as wives do sometimes, we sabotaged ours and with some questions. And, and my girlfriend, Kim, said to her husband, hey, what if we took a year off and did nothing? And he said, you know, but, you know, the kids are involved in this and that. I just don't think that's a good idea. And, and I told my husband, I said, hey, what do you think about us taking a year off? I said, I feel kind of like a third-world taxi driver, you know? And my husband said, when do we start? And I thought, uh-oh. My girlfriend looked at me like, here we go. You opened your mouth. Uh Uh-huh. And I said, okay, we start tomorrow. It's New Year's Day. Did your girlfriend also take a year? No, she did not. She watched watched me take a year. So without talking with the kids, without any forethought really on your part, it was just let's dive into the deep end of the pool and see if we can swim. Yep, that's exactly what it was. Well, as we drove home that night, I kind of prayed that unprayer where you kind of pray that everybody forgot what you just said. (laughs) And uh, the the next morning when we got up, uh, New Year's Day in our home, as a family, it's it's a little more special. Uh, we try and make it a little more special. We have a, a family devotion, and we really kind of talk about our goals for the year, and, and really we have a big breakfast, and so that's when we sprung it on the kids. Now, now you have to give us a definition of nothing, because uh, doing nothing could mean all kinds of things to moms who are listening in right now. How would you define that? Well, how we defined it was, uh, my husband and I discussed this, how we defined it was anything that I had to drive my kids to. Really? We didn't do, right. So anything around the home. Now, and, wait, did they go to school? <laughs> they did go to school, but we were close enough they could walk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anything really, any outside activity that would take mom out of the home, the kids out of the home, we decided to take a break from. So school-related extracurricular activities were okay or not? Well, this was our the rules we made in our home. Um, Grace was in choir at school, and her practices were after school. So we allowed that to stay okay. because I didn't have to drive her there, and she had friends. And, right, but right. anything that drew me away, anything that took mom and the kids out of the house three times a week or whatever it was, we decided to take a 12-month timeout. So when you sat down on New Year's Day and said, hey, kids, <laughs> we, we came up with a great idea. Tell me how that went over. Well, uh, this is where sometimes not being a very good follow-through parent worked the only time in my favor because they thought, oh, mom's lost her mind. Yeah, she'll we never, don't believe she'll never you. do this. Well, I, I read the letter that hopefully we'll get a chance to share a little later on from your, your oldest daughter. She just thought you were going through a phase. <laughs> yeah. It's just mom's going through a phase. She'll get over it. Yep, that's exactly true. And and we weren't, and we didn't. We were We stuck to it. Why do you think you stuck to it? Well, you know, I think just understanding that uh, life is short. My mom had passed away a few years before, and it really got me to thinking, what are those important things that I want my children? You know, what valuable, eternal things? What is going to last? What mark is my family making together? And I wanted our relationships to grow. And I wasn't seeing that a lot of the distractions were drawing us closer. I I love watching my kids in sports. And I'm not trying to demonize uh, activities, not at all. I find huge value in kids in in sports and dancing and that kind of thing. I definitely do. But when it starts to take away from family, when when I'm spending more time driving from function to function and, and not spending time around that table, at night, well, then something has to change. And and when I was out of the home so much in the evenings, even for a good thing, good is the enemy of the best, really. And so when I was out of the home, I was realizing, oh, this isn't good. I'm buying fast food. 
I'm tossing, I'm firing cheeseburgers in the back seat instead of, you know, having lasagna or, you know, having a family meal. You know, that's great imagery. Good versus best. And I know what you're thinking. Just how did she keep up the no busy rule? Well, to hear the rest of the story, you'll want to listen to the interview that Dennis and Bob had with her on Family Life today. Just go to our website, familylifethisweek.com. That's familylifethisweek.com. Oh, and little fun fact for you, Joanne Kraft met her husband, Paul, over a homicide call. Go to our website for more information on that one and to find out just what went on, familylifethisweek.com. As we continue talking about busyness, about last year this time, I was commenting to a friend about how busy I was, how I felt so frazzled and so tired all the time. Well, she in turn looked at me and said, I'm tired of people telling me how busy and tired they are. So her prescription to me was to read the book Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. This book put a lot of things into perspective for me. And wonder of all wonders, I got to meet Kevin a few weeks ago and chat with him about his book. In fact, I asked him, just where in the world did the idea about Crazy Busy come from? That book came from my life and my own problems, (laughs) my own issues. I say at the very beginning, you never meet people at your small group. And when you ask them, how's it going this week? And they say, "Uh, I'm just not busy. I mean, they, they always are feeling busy, overwhelmed, that life is crazy. Mm-hmm. So I notice this in other people and and I notice it in myself and seeing and wondering wh- why am I always feeling this way? Why is it that when I get together with my friends and we talk about accountability, I'm I'm they always know I'm going to say something about life's a little bit overwhelming or a lot overwhelming and I'm feeling busy. What what does that say about me? Because if that's the recurring theme, it must be more than just my circumstances. It's something inside of me that's producing that. I agree because I have a friend who, he's a pastor. You know, she's, of course, she's a pastor's wife. And they're hearing people in their congregation always saying, when you when you ask, how are you? Yeah. I'm tired because I have so much to do. I have so, there's just so much to do. Is there a bigger issue at work here when you say, I have so much to do and I have to accomplish so much? I'm sure that for many people there are. Now, some of it may just culturally be, we don't know what to say. So we say, I'm, I'm busy. It seems socially acceptable. It seems like we're, we're doing something that matters. But I've realized if, if this is the case, no matter what season of life I'm in, no matter what month I'm in or year, then it must be something that's more than just produced by a busy Christmas or a busy Easter. It must be something in in me. And so I really wanted to wrestle with what is it that's that's driving us to maybe be people pleasers? Uh, is it pride sometimes? We think that we we need to be doing things or we find our worth in doing all these things? Or do we have an unhealthy sense of our own mm-hmm. importance that the world really depends on us? Uh, I think one of the one of the the big things I learned in in writing the book, one of the kind of, and I knew it, but I needed to relearn it again, was just how little the world depends on me. 
and how much it depends on God. So being busy in itself is not the problem. God made us to work. There's work in the garden before the fall. Mm -hmm. So to be doing things is great. If you love people, if you want to serve Jesus, you're going to be busy with things. But it's that, that constant frenetic activity. It's that restlessness of soul. It's that weariness of spirit that so many of us feel that is is not generally healthy and I think what God wants for us. And I'm also thinking in Ephesians that God created us for good works. And I hear a lot of people who say, well, he created me for good works. So that means that I've got to be the president of PTA and I've got to help us understand if we're starting to pull back or we're starting to realize that we are too busy, what does the good works mean? Yeah. Well, he did make us for good works, mm-hmm. but I, I would argue if you really want to do that thing well, you can't try to do everything mm. well. I'll give you two examples, one secular, one from Jesus. The, the, the secular one is Peter Drucker, famous business guru. Right. He had this word, we all know the word priorities. He coined this, this word posteriorities. So a priority is something I'm putting first. And he said, if you don't have posteriorities, think of your posterior, don't think about it too long, but you know, <laughs> you're behind. If you don't have things that you say you're not going to do. So it right. sounds really noble, spiritual. I'm doing good works. I'm going to do all these things. I'm making you know, six dozen cookies for Sunday school, and I'm the head of this association, and I'm volunteering here. But if you don't have posteriorities, how do you really have priorities? Everything just becomes this mush. And, and then the other example much more important is Jesus. Mm. I always think of Jesus, beginning of Mark's gospel, he has this day burst on the ministry scene and it says that he's up all night and he's he's healing. And when Jesus wants to do something, he he gets it done. I mean, he's, he's effective. He just touches people, he says a word and they're healed. What could be better than that? And yet when Peter looks for him the next day, he's out in desolate places mm. praying. So mm. Jesus, the the son of God, set aside time to go and be with his heavenly father when he could have been healing nonstop. I mean, doing good things. So if Jesus needed to do that, how much more do we need to do it? So I look at busyness in my own life, that there's a degree to which I'm not embracing my own finitude. I mean, the only person, the only being that gets his to-do list done every day is God. Mm -hmm. And if I think that it all depends on me and I have to do everything that I'm not embracing my own finitude and the limits that mm-hmm. God's given me as a creature, not as a divine creator. So it's really, it sounds humble to, to say yes to everything, but it's actually can be a real subtle form of pride when real humility is to embrace our own limitations. So how do we do this? How do we step back? Because I know that there's there's a part of me going, well, if I'm stepping back and only doing one thing well, there's a lot of my friends that are still doing 10 things well, so yeah. I'm having to withstand the peer pressure. Yeah. But how do we pull back and really just rest in what God has for us to do well? Yeah, there's no, there's no easy way. I'd like to say, throw away your phone, <laughs> get rid of your computer, and I'm tempted to do that sometime. Uh, but for most people, that's probably not what they're going to do or even what they necessarily need to do. And so, uh, you know, Luke 10, Mary and Martha, 
You know, mm-hmm. a lot of us hate that story. Right. Really? Do we want to hear another sermon about no. you lousy Marthas out there? I mean, we sort of, we, we feel Cause like... Because we need to get stuff done. Yeah, we feel like, yo, know, that's nice that Mary could, you know, not do anything, but Martha's making sure that the meal gets prepared. But you have to come back to Jesus says, Mary, you've chosen the good part. And he says, Martha, Martha. He doesn't say, Martha, th- these things don't matter. They do. But if we don't make that first thing to sit at the feet of Jesus, we're not going to have the, the perspective, we're not going to have the, the calm, and we're not going to know the peace that we really need to know from him in order to get done the things that he wants us to do. We tend to live rhythmless lives. Mm. God, God instituted all these rhythms. I mean, from the very beginning, there's a weekly rhythm of, of work and rest, mm-hmm. and even in ancient Israel, all the, the festivals. When it's all this mush, all this mess, all the time, we don't have those opportunities to really work hard. We get distracted uh, and then rest hard and not feel guilty about sleeping, about taking a nap, about leaving the dishes undone and understanding that God gives us sleep and forces us to rest, partly to remind us that he's God and we're not. Mm-hmm. I sometimes tell people, because I need to tell myself, w- when you wake up in, mo- in the morning, sort of picture God there hovering over you saying, hey, hey, I did okay without you. I managed. <laughs> that was Kevin DeYoung, the author of Crazy Busy. We need to take a break. Now, unlike Kevin, you cannot take a nap right now. You will want to stay tuned because we're going to be talking with Hannah Anderson about busyness and maybe the connection between busyness and pride. It's an interesting connection. So stay tuned to Family Life this week. Here's a fun fact for you. In the early years of a blended family, the level of stress is typically very high. For Family Life Blended, here's Ron Deal. Well, of course, that's really not fun at all, is it? That's why you need to know that stress is high for step families in the beginning, and it doesn't mean that you made a mistake. Merging traditions and parenting styles, personal preferences and backgrounds and family rules and all of that stuff is just tough. And not everyone in the house is going to be happy with everything that's taking place. So listen, your family is in process, okay? Over time, you're going to figure some things out, and the stress is going to come down, and your family harmony is going to go up. And so will your sanity, at least for a little while. For Family Life Blended, I'm Ron Deal. To find out more, visit FamilyLifeBlended.com. This is what's known as a shepherd tone. As long as you listen, it will sound like the tone gets lower and lower forever and ever and ever. For some, that's how marriage feels. It's just getting worse and worse forever and ever and ever. The tone can also be reversed and sound like it gets higher and higher. And for others, that's how marriage feels. As if it will only get blissfully better and better automatically, forever and ever. But in both cases, the tone is an illusion. 
Whether you feel hopelessly in love or just plain hopeless, Family Life's Weekend to Remember is a chance for you and your spouse to get away and hear the truth about God's design for your marriage. No illusions. (laughs) Family Life's Weekend to Remember. To find out more about a getaway near you, visit WeekendToRemember.com. Welcome back to Family Life this week. We're talking about busyness and, you know, there's a flip side to busy, and that is rest. And we can't find rest in God with a hurried soul, can we? Wasn't it King David who said these words, be still and know that I am God? But it's easy for me to say that here behind this microphone, be still and know, when you're sitting there going, I've got this project to get done. I have a pile of laundry to do. I have kids to get fed. I have a lawn that needs mowed. Just how in a world of busyness and in a world of striving and in a world of trying to keep up, I'm almost hyperventilating right now thinking about it, how does this stuff get done if we are to follow God's command and be still? That's a great question. It's a question that I asked of Hannah Anderson, who was here, you may remember, not too long ago, and she was talking about humility and rest and pride. And while she was talking about the pride and laying down of the pride and laying down of the to-do list, I asked her just how did this live out in her life? Here's Hannah. Well, there were some very immediate and very practical changes that I had to make in my life. And the first ones related to my physical body. And I know sometimes we create this difference between our spirits and we want to care for our souls and we commit ourselves to Bible study and prayer and time in the Word and and fellowship with the church. But God has also made our physical bodies, and caring and submitting to the limitations of our physical bodies is also an act of submission and is also an act of humility. Mm -hmm. So for me, the very first practical changes I had to make were things like, Hannah, are you sleeping enough? Mm -hmm. Are you going to bed on time? Because you are expecting your body to function in a way that nobody else's body functions. (laughs) Like, you you have (laughs) lifted yourself up in pride and said the physical limitations of my body needing seven, eight hours of sleep don't apply to me. And so it was an act of humility to submit myself to the limitations God has put on our bodies. Are you exercising? Are you caring for your physical body? Are you eating well? Are you submitting yourself to the physical realities that God has called good, that Jesus himself took on? Are you submitting to those, or are you resisting the limitations that God has put on you? So practically, it changed how I was caring for my physical body. Mm -hmm. It also changed my sense of time. I used to be certain 
that I could accomplish more in a week than anyone else could. And I would cram my schedule. I think most women with, think that. <laughs> yes. And, and it would be, well, this has to get done. Yeah. You know, and I would feel that pressure mm-hmm. of, well, someone's got to do yeah, it. exactly. And then I do understand that we are in pressured points, and there are times where we have busier weeks than others. But are we engaging in the act of margin? Mm. Are we honoring Sabbath? Mm -hmm. Or are we saying, I'm the only one who can accomplish all of these things, and so I'm going to rush around and fill every minute of my week with productivity? That's, That's not humility. Humility says, I trust God for the things I can't get done. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to be productive. But I'm also going to realize that I'm not omnipotent and I'm not eternal. You know, God doesn't dwell in time, but I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I have to operate within the bounds of time. I have to honor that and submit myself to those limitations. Hannah, as a takeaway, how does this fit in the everyday life of a woman? This is not something you learn one time. Mm. You know, this is more a way of engaging our lives, a way of looking at our lives and relearning and failing and Mm. repenting and picking ourselves up the next week and constantly learning and cultivating humility. It's not something that happens overnight or... um, I know. I feel like I have the, the tools now. Yeah. I know something I didn't know before, but now I'm still learning how to put it into practice. That's Hannah Anderson. She's the author of the book Humble Roots. And for more of her interview, when she joined me in the studio a couple of weeks ago, go to familylifethisweek.com. That's familylifethisweek.com. You know, it was over 2,000 years ago that people gathered in Jerusalem, and many people traveled from all over to come for this Passover celebration. So the city was just bustling. Think how busy your state capital would be if people came from all over the state for a festival of some sort. So you can understand how it might be easy to miss a man riding on a donkey. Now, it's true that many saw him and claimed, Hosanna, Hosanna, but it's also true that many did not. They were too busy. You know, Palm Sunday is this weekend, and I think I'm going to take some time to read through Luke 19 and 20, because I don't want to miss seeing Jesus in the busyness of this season. I need to quiet my heart and soul and rest. Maybe you do too. Just a thought. Hey, next weekend, it is the celebration of our hope and of our salvation. It's the celebration that Jesus came to set us free and to conquer death. Next week, we're going to be talking about loving the way that our Savior did. I hope you can join us for that. Thanks for listening. I want to thank the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, along with our station partners across the country. And thank you to the team of great professionals that help bring you this program. To Keith and Justin and Phil, Bruce and James and Megan, 
who is the crown jewel of them all. Our program is a production of Family Life Today in Little Rock, Arkansas, and our mission is to effectively develop godly families who change the world one home at a time. I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Family Life This Week.